Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. Welcome to, or welcome back, as the case may be, to Gardening Naturally. Uh, Hot and miserable. I'm just going to say that at the start of every hour for the next, I don't know, 90 days. This is what we're dealing with with the weather. Unfortunately, there's no easy solution. So, we got to learn to live with it. Let's go to the phone. This is Bobby. Bobby, what can I help you with? Well, slugs or snails, I don't know what they're called, but they're new to me, and I don't know. Uh, I need a 101 course in getting rid of slugs and snails. They devoured a, a fig tree, and they're working on a mountain laurel now. Um, that doesn't sound like a slug or a snail. It sounds like, uh, there's, depending on the bug... There are insects that will chew down a fig tree, and there is definitely a caterpillar that will chew down mountain laurels. Well, these are stuck all over the tree and all over the trees. These snail shell, I mean, it's a snail-looking ah. thing that's stuck to the tree everywhere. Okay. There is one simple, very easy-to-use product. It is called Sluggo Plus. It is a granular, it is um, is wheat bait, and it has in it uh, things that the snail takes a bite of, it'll kill them. I had a horrid snail problem this year, and I still haven't completely gotten rid of them, but that really helped me back off the number of snails that I had. It comes in about a one pound container. You can get bigger, I believe, but one pound. And you just kind of sprinkle it underneath the areas where the snails are really being a problem. They will smell it. They will come, they will go to eat it and that will kill them. The ones that are already on the tree, I don't have a good answer for. Um, you can try a jet spray of water, a really hard spray, and try to direct it right at them to knock them off of the trees uh, to get them out of there. But you need to have the sluggo to get them to stop reproducing and just wind up with more and more slugs. And it's really strange that you're having them because as hot and dry as it has been, it's kind of surprising to see so many of them. So you don't think they cause the deleafing of the fig tree? Um, they uh, They can cause some of that. Um, the dryness that we're in, you can see if you haven't watered your fig, you shouldn't really if it's a well-established plant. But if you haven't been providing it water, that's also a reason to see leaves start falling off. 
Well, this happened over a month ago, so before it got extra dry. It is an established fig. Half the fig tree is still vibrant, and half of it is dead. That would not be... Yeah. yeah. Um, You can do two... One or two things here. Address the snails. Get the sluggo. Do that. The half of the fig tree that doesn't look good, you can wait till cooler weather to see if it puts on any new growth at all. If it doesn't, you can wait till fall and trim back all of those branches to encourage it to put on new growth. Okay. I will try that. Uh, I'm, I have this same issue with one of my figs, so the other one doesn't have any on it right at the moment, where the snails are really, really going crazy. So I need to address too, but I I got good results from the uh, Slogo product to reduce the number of snails I had to deal with. Sounds good. I'll grab some of that. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call, Bobby. Let's go to the phone. This is Mike. Mike, what can I help you with? Um, well, I'm in Round Rock, and I decided I wanted to attract hummingbirds which i i have got some but i got like hundreds of bees and then an occasional wasp and i was wondering if there's anything i could do to deter those bees and wasps um most of the hummingbird feeders when you fill them properly will have uh nectar below the hole that the hummingbird's going to stick his beak in to lick up the nectar. If Mm. it's full to the bottom of the hole, then the bees can get to it. So make sure you have a hummingbird feeder that provides a gap between the nectar and the top of the surface where the feed hole is so that the bees and wasps can't get to it okay the other thing is i uh i give up on a feeder because i have to get you know you have to put fresh nectar in it all the time um i've got enough plants that i get all my hummingbirds without a single feeder and they are as regular as clockwork uh they're fun they spend a long time feeding and I don't need the feeder. There you go. Well, the kind that I have, uh, Jeff, is it looks like an hourglass. So the the liquid is actually above, and then you know they you know which ones I'm talking. About. I think they're called perky or something like that. The, that's not the right kind, is it? Um, if the nectar is available at the surface, there has to be a bit of a gap there so that the bugs can't get to it. But the hummingbird's beak is long enough that they can get there. Okay. So there's there's not like a natural, like I was reading like eucalyptus or spearmint, that stuff doesn't no. really do much, you don't think? No. no, you do not want to contaminate the nectar. Hummingbirds okay. have enough problems with diseases and, and things that they can get from nectar, that'll that'll kill them. 
So oh, keep the nectar okay. clean. You know, make it up, make up a bunch of it. You can keep it in the fridge about a week, but you want to change it out of the feeder frequently. You don't want to okay. leave it in there more than two or three days. Okay. Well, I'll I'll see about trying to keep that the food lower than the hole. That sounds like the main thing, right? Yeah, that way the bees and stuff can't reach it, but the hummingbirds still can. Okay. Well, thank you for your help, sir. I appreciate it, and I love your show. Good luck. I hope that you get lots of uh, hummers coming by now. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of flowers out there, too, so we're double-teaming it, I guess, so to speak. Got it. Got it. That'll work, too. Thank Um, you, sir. Thanks for the call. Yeah, folks. Hummingbirds, it is really easy to make them sick if you are not keeping your hummingbird feeder clean and keeping the nectar fresh. Water and sugar will ferment and the alcohol will kill a hummingbird. So make sure your feeder is as clean as you can get it and you change out the nectar frequently. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Uh, We're up against a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Welcome back, everybody, uh, to another hot day. It's getting to the point we're already starting to warm up where you're probably going to want to be finishing up whatever work you're doing today outside. We just, uh, we just don't have an answer in this heat, and we so desperately need some rain. It's just not happening, so we need to be prepared for it. Uh, it's hard to find any any rain clouds in Texas right now. And it doesn't look like it's going to improve. And this is going to be a week of mostly sunny weather. So it's going to be pretty brutal for us. High temperatures of 104 and higher all week. Just it makes you hate summer here. Um, hopefully, hopefully we'll get a break in this weather sometime soon. Doesn't look like it, actually. Um, but we can we can only hope that it's going to become better weather. Now. In the heat, you're going to find some of your plants are really taking a breaking. Those of you gardening in containers, you can help out your plants to make sure they're not in a dark colored pot. Because that pot will absorb that heat and the soil that 
your plant is in will skyrocket. It will really raise the temperatures and they won't be good for uh, the plants that you have. Try to keep them in a lighter colored pot. Try to use a lighter colored pot. Now, you know, I've got a couple of plants that I purchased at a nursery. And like most of my gardening friends, we probably have more plants waiting to go into the ground than we have in the ground. So what I did is you take your nursery pot, which tends to be black plastic, and you put it inside a bigger pot. Caspo is the French term for it, I believe. But that way, I can still use the nursery pot, but it's not exposed to that sun to make it super hot. It's also a lazy way to get around going, oh, I need to do something with this plant, but I don't want to right now. So you can do this to get it to look decent and still grow and to avoid the heat effect that you get from the container being dark colored. That's usually, that's usually detrimental to the plant unless you have like a, a very thick clay, that's something that can resist the transfer of the heat from the sun, but you still get warmer. You want light colored pots in this kind of weather to be able to keep them uh, as cool as possible. You know, during 2011, we had what was it, 90 consecutive days of 100-degree weather. I hope we are not going to break that record. But during that time, satellite data was checking the state of Texas, and it found that the soil temperatures were above 100 degrees. Now, when it's 100 degrees out, if uh, it was 80 today, tomorrow warms up, and it goes to 100 degrees... The soil doesn't heat up that fast. But when you have those kind of temperatures and that bright sun for many days in a row, guess what? That soil gets warmer and warmer and warmer. And at 100 degrees, it's bad enough. We didn't have any rain. So plants were already struggling for water. And then they were growing in a soil that was super, super hot. It was terrible for us. That can happen again. To help with the heat, your, your gardening container should be a lighter color or fairly thick clay or the, uh, you know, even the plastic ones will transfer heat. You should um, look at being able to put the plants in places where they get afternoon shade. That will help a great deal for them to grow in this kind of weather. For your plants in the ground, mulch is the answer. A good thick layer of mulch acts as a blanket. Not only does it hold moisture in, 
It keeps the sunlight off so the soil doesn't get so hot. A&M did studies that show that the temperature difference of soil out in the open and soil under mulch can be 15 degrees. And if it was 100 degrees soil, 15 degrees means, hey, it's only 85 there. That's a huge difference. That is a huge difference in keeping the plants happy and healthy. So light-colored containers are best in this heat. Keep your plants as best you can in afternoon shade so they can get some kind of break from the sun. Your in-ground plants, mulch is the answer. A good layer of mulch will keep the plant nice, will keep the plant cooler than bare ground. So those simple tricks can get some of your plants through this summer. And you can take a second look at those plants to determine are they worth keeping if we have another summer like this? Do you want to use the resources that you have, the water you have, to take care of things like may not make it? Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're coming to the bottom of the hour. We're going to break for the news. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Welcome back, everybody. I'm not going to say it. We're going to hear it too much over the next few weeks. I'm not going to say the word anymore. Let's go to the phone. This is David. David, what can I help you with? Oh, thanks, uh, Jeff. I um, uh, feel for you in all of that darn heat out there. Uh, I'm calling you from California, and um, I, I, lately I've been watching these videos on YouTube about a place in China that was uh, pretty barren. It was uh, uh, basically over uh, overgrazed, over harvested, over uh, you know a lot of slash and burn technology, and uh, and so. It was pretty bleak. It's called the Los Plateau, L-O-E-S-S. And so in the last uh, decade or so, uh, the people in that region in China had been working on reclaiming it, putting in berms, putting in, uh, uh, you know, uh, erosion control, uh, using compost to their best advantage, uh, and uh, redeveloping it. And they've had some pretty good success in, you know, in good parts of it. Uh, have you heard about it, seen any of these videos? I tend to focus on Texas. Yeah. So, no, I have not seen it. Well, uh, if you've ever been out to, like, uh, I don't know, Arizona, New Mexico, uh, they've got a lot of areas in uh, Colorado, even some parts of Kansas and Oklahoma are getting pretty bleak. You know, they got, uh, after the Dust Bowl days, all the topsoil was lost, and it's just been down to the nub. And um, it, it basically, there is a way to reclaim uh, uh, barren land, but it's pretty much of an investment for the first five or ten years. 
you know, you really got to go out of your way to, uh, to save every piece of compost and put it in uh, in the most efficient way so that uh, you can get little oases going and different things like that. As a matter of fact, in some of these videos, they show that springs that used to be in an area, uh, you know, 150 years ago have actually popped up again. Uh, once they got uh, uh, enough shade in there, enough they enough to uh, recapture rainfall, uh, so that it doesn't just automatically go to erosion. So uh, yeah, I, 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 t- tied to this, uh, there are a bunch of different um, archaeological uh, videos on YouTube about the desertification of uh, the Sahara, and apparently the Sahara Desert went uh, went. To become, it, it went from green to becoming a desert within apparently 100 years. Uh, it was a, a quick drop, and you know, thinking about the Dust Bowl days were basically about 90 years ago, uh, and you start to see some of these massive floods and gully washers, and you know, the hurricanes that are coming in with enormous force and just creating a lot of erosion uh, problems. You know, topsoil loss. Um, you know, it's going to be smart for America to get their act together to protect their topsoil, or we may end up with North America as a desert, uh, or, you know, a substantial part of it as a desert, uh, you know, if we don't uh, plan now. So um, have you seen any of these uh, videos about the archaeological finds in uh, the Sahara? Uh, no. Like I said... I have a show about planting in Texas. Sure. My focus yeah. is here in Texas, and most of the things that you're talking about, we do our best in Texas with things like cover crops. Rather right. than having to create compost or, and add it to the soil, it's better to use cover crops and green manure that adds organic matter much faster and it collects nitrogen faster than compost ever could. So we are addressing it here in Texas. As a matter of fact, Texas, central Texas, because of the amount of rain we would normally get versus the amount that's run off or evaporated, central Texas is being desertified it is becoming a desert here for that exact reason. The amount of rain and the amount of water that stays in the soil, nope, we're going to wind up where we lose more water than we get from the rain. And one of the best ways to do that is like putting in the cover crops, which correct the soil problems so they will hold the water. Sure. Yeah, well, that's uh, we're seeing that in our Central Valley, where and I think they say Bakersfield uh, is now 11 feet deeper uh, than it was 100 years ago. They've drilled so much water out of it for you know for uh, agriculture or for industrial use that they the ground has subsided 11 feet. And uh, I I think it's probably true over there in Galveston too, if I understand right. There there. Are approximately 10 feet lower than they were 100 years ago. And, uh, yeah, draining the aquifer instead of, you know, living on rainwater, uh, the ability to buy and sell water and send it, you know, 100 miles away or 
nowadays are bottling uh, the aquifer water, uh, and they're causing the same kind of subsidence problems by doing it. So it's, uh, yeah, the idea, I, you know, just thinking in terms of this heat spell and what could be done to think ahead of time what could be done uh, to remediate, um, yeah, the... Uh, I, I've always wondered if there wasn't a way to uh, to capture, like if if you knew that there were going to be some gully washers coming, uh, is there a way that you could, uh, and you had uh, a fair amount of land, you know, you put in some berms or whatever to uh, capture that topsoil as it's getting run away, uh, doing things with netting or with, uh, you know, local brush, uh, you know, allowing a lot of brush to land there. Um, I I saw a post the other day talking about, you know, the old original kind of hemp uh, used to be just tenacious as crazy. Uh, it, they used to call it a weed, you know, that you couldn't get rid of it, and it was great for erosion. Uh, you'd have that along a hillside, uh, you know, along a, a cliffside. Uh, you wouldn't have so much topsoil loss on the uh, the hillsides. And when they made hemp illegal a hundred years ago, uh, they basically were speeding up the erosion process. And uh, so, by legalizing it again, not only can you know tens of thousands of products be created with hemp. But uh, the erosion control uh, aspect of it comes back into the floor. And, in fact, uh, I'm from Missouri originally, and up there back in uh, the 1970s, Richard Nixon was trying to outlaw the hemp, and, uh, and the Department of Natural Resources up there, I think it was Fish and Game as well, they didn't want to do it because the hunters, uh, you know, hunting ducks, uh, ducks loved that hemp seed. And they had plenty of places to hide down in the weeds. And uh, by uh, federal eradication uh, claim uh, or, you know, a claim on the state that they had to outlaw a plant, uh, they basically were creating much more erosion and losing their duck uh, population. Uh, so the hunters were going to lose uh, in the long run, and they were refusing Richard Nixon. Uh, uh, and it, it, it only came in later that they did the, uh, the eradication uh, because they were going to lose some highway funding if they didn't. And uh, so it, it's been a, you know, the, the outlawing of, of cannabis and hemp uh, not only ruined the economy, but it also is ruining the uh, topsoil. Well, one of the things that you have that. to understand, David, the, the soil profile is not homogeneous across the United States. Oh, I know we that. Have yeah. Almost no topsoil here in Texas. Unless you go to the southeast side of Texas in the gumbo, we don't really have any topsoil here. It's all terrible material that we don't want. And the only way we're going to recover it is to um, grow it back out. And that's where the cover crops will come in. But right now, that's the only solution we really have to try to improve our environment. Sure. Uh, David, I'm coming to the bottom of the hour, uh, or excuse me, to a break. Uh, thanks for the call. Uh, Roger, Nathan, I see you there. If you can hang on, I'll catch you on the other side. Well, appreciate it. Take care. 
This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Roger. What can I help you with, Roger? Good morning, Jeff. Yeah, I heard uh, you're talking about uh, pots and the heat, how damages or how damage your plants on black pots. Uh, I have some uh, fairly large nursery pots. Uh, they're not in use at this time, but I, I would like to be using them. Is there a type of paint I should use for them? And i got some clay pots. Should I also paint them or just leave them natural? The clay pots are less likely to build up that kind of heat. The plastic nursery pots will get quite warm. Yeah, you can, uh, if you can brush them off, wash them off, whatever, so that they don't have a lot of dirt on them, you can use almost any spray, uh, can of spray paint you want. They should stick to the plastic for a while. Um, I mean, you're only gonna do this, you're not gonna make it a permanent pot, probably, so you just need to get a coat of paint on it of some kind. I have had people um, wrap them with foil. Uh, I think that's kind of excessive, but that will help save the heat a little bit too. But yeah, you can get most spray paints will stick to the uh, plastic just fine, and that'll help save the temperature of the pot. Well, I've seen people use metal troughs for planters uh is that uh, advisable yeah you can they don't build up the heat the same way that galvanized material sort of reflects it is not going to get as hot if that metal trough if somebody had painted it jet black yeah it would get warm too but uh part of it is how big is it if it's really large like a trough it won't build up as much heat as a smaller container like, um, you know, a two-gallon nursery pot full of soil and jet black. So if you can get some paint on it, you'll help keep them cool. If you can cover them with, I don't know, um, uh, I'll, I'll wrap them with paper, that will help keep the sun off of the plastics and keep the temperatures down. So yeah, however yeah. you can approach that, you can still use them. Sounds good to me. I thank you for the information, Jeff. Thanks for the call. Uh, the next, let's look at Nathan. What do you got? Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. I had texted you a couple pictures of a citrus, a little uh, Satsuma orange that I've got, and it was in that little half barrel. It's um, I transplanted it back in, like, January or February and because um, it was in too small of a pot and when I did that I used like a citrus um, bag citrus soil that I was supposedly specially formulated for citrus in it and uh, I did put in like some um, I guess it was a nat one of those natural fertilizers y'all recommend I think kind of like chicken manure or something like that mm -hmm. in with it when I when I did that but since then I haven't uh, fertilized it at all but i have i do water almost every other day and i wondered if maybe i was watering too much but i wondered if in that picture you'll see it's on the south facing side surrounded by kind of like white rock in my garage if it's just getting 
pride there maybe or I don't know what. So citrus can citrus can handle full sun, even Texas full sun. If you were to go down to the valley where they grow our grapefruits and things like that, they're out in blazing sun all day long. Citrus can handle that. You shouldn't have to water it every other day. You are probably giving it too much water. Water so that you get uh, you feel moisture four inches deep in that container. Okay. You don't have to water again until you stick your hand in there and you don't feel water four inches deep. It doesn't have to be okay. a muck, but it it has to be damp. So you may be watering too much. Back off to may, maybe once a week. And citrus are notoriously greedy. I mean, they they really can handle a lot of fertilizer, and they really are only interested in nitrogen. The other elements, yeah, they're they're great, but nitrogen is the primary uh, food for citrus. So, okay. cottonseed meal, the fish emulsions, those are great citrus fertilizers. But I'm not kidding when I say they're greedy. They may need as much as um, a monthly feeding of fertilizer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they really, really can eat it up. And it never hurts to give them some uh, seaweed solution in the water. Okay. Yeah, I'll try doing that. I'll, I'll fertilize and water less. Yeah. Okay. Um, it should produce for you too. I have one in a eh, probably twenty gallon container. Maybe it's more than that, and it is uh, more than ten years old, maybe fifteen, and it produces blood oranges for me, and they're quite good. Okay, good deal. Yeah, I'm hoping for that. Okay, thank you. You bet. Thanks for the call. Yeah, folks. Citrus is <clears throat> a high feeder, but citrus doesn't want wet feet. There's a fungus that can kill it if its roots are constantly wet. So make sure you're getting it a wet to dry cycle as you water it, even in this kind of heat. Folks, this has been Gardening Naturally. Uh, I hope you have an opportunity to enjoy the rest of the weekend. I will talk to you all again next Saturday at 9. Have a great day.